Hello, welcome to Live from CapTimes Idea Fest. I'm Eric Lawrenson with the Capital Times. Over the course of the past week, we've been bringing you recordings of interviews and conversations from our first ever Idea Fest at the University of Wisconsin Madison. Today, a one on one with Tommy Thompson. Before serving as Secretary of Health and Human Services under President George W. Bush, Thompson served four terms as governor of Wisconsin. In this conversation with Cap Times News Editor Jason Joyce, Thompson shares stories from his political career and gives his take on issues from healthcare to redistricting. All right, let's get started. I hope you enjoy the talk. Thank you. What, uh, what does life look like now for uh, Tommy Thompson these days? Life is great. You know, I, uh, uh, I went swimming at 7 o'clock this morning in Lake Wisconsin. Water was, uh, was very refreshing, and uh, <laughs> as my life is. Uh, you know, I, I've, been, I've been blessed. Uh, there's no question about it. Uh, Jason, first off, thank you for having me. Thank you for uh, having the first name Jason. That's my, my son's name, and also... The individual runs my Washington office and scheduled me as named Jason, so I won't forget you at Excellent. all. And uh, Double J and Double T should get along just fine. Absolutely. Uh, I, um, I've been blessed, as I said. I was in politics early on and had the opportunity to serve this great state, and I love this state. Love this university. And uh, some of my best days were on this campus, and uh, it's uh, one of the things I cherish the most is... Uh, being able to be poor, come out of a small community of Elroy, my hometown is 1,500, so small you call somebody, get a wrong number, and still, still talk for a half an hour. That's that's my that's my hometown, and uh, I had the opportunity to get elected at the age of 23, took office at the age of 24, and uh, never really looked back. And then uh, had the privilege for this great state to serve as governor for uh, 14 years and one month, and. Uh, and then got a chance to uh, uh, to uh, serve uh, the federal government in some very trying times. 9/11. I guess we're gonna might talk about that. And that was really a, an interesting time for me. Uh, I got some stories to tell uh, that are quite interesting. I don't think I've ever shared with anybody before. Uh, but um, and then I I left the, the government in uh, in 2004. I always wanted to run a business. I, I, you know, you been in politics. I was a lawyer. Uh, I never believed in being a full-time legislator, so I continued to practice law in my hometown of Elroy, Mauston, and Oxford. I practiced law on Monday and Friday, and I'd come to uh, the legislature on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I never wanted to be a full-time legislator so that I'd have no uh, reluctance to vote for something. Nobody could control me. I always put myself through, and I had uh, independent uh, support without having to depend upon the government. And then I decided to go into it, and the biggest mistake I made when I left the government is I, I didn't know if anybody would want me. And so I said yes to everything. People would call up and said, well, you want to be on this board? Oh, sure, I, I could do that. And uh, I finally ended up being spending one-third of my time being a, a, a partner at Aiken Gump Law Firm, one-third of my time uh, running Deloitte's Healthcare Center, one-third of my time being chairman and CEO of LHI up in La Crosse, a very fast-growing business. One-third of my time being on public boards. One-third of my time being on private boards. 
and one-third of my time uh, starting healthcare companies around the country, which I guess uh, been somewhat successful in all those endeavors. And then on top of it, and probably the love of my life, is I, I still farm. I farm 1,500 acres back in Elroy, Wisconsin, which was homesteaded by my great-grandfather uh, from Ireland in 1860. He was the first white settler between Elroy and Kendall, and he homesteaded it and got, uh, he had a provision that he had to build a house and a barn and raise crops and he could get 120 acres. He had five years to do it, and I still own that property, but I've grown from the homestead to about 1,500 acres where I raise corn, soybeans, and uh, and raise cattle, belted Galloways, uh, the Oriole cookie cow, black in front and black in the back, and a white belt around them, and... Uh, and that's really my love. In fact, I'll be there tomorrow. I'll be on a tractor. People say, well, you don't really farm. And I say, yeah, I do. I, I run a bulldozer. I drive all kinds of tractors. I rake hay. I bale hay. I, and I even do a little shoveling of the stuff the cows excrete. But all, all, of, all of these things have, have made uh, this just a very rich life. And uh, I thank the people of Wisconsin for giving me this opportunity. And I thank the Capital Times for allowing me to come and uh, participate in the Ideas Fest. Bill Ebu would be turning over at his grave having a conservative <laughs> Republican here. But, uh, uh, but uh, the truth of the matter is, I, I, my, my father read the Capital Times every single day. That was, that was his newspaper. And uh, so did my uncle, or my grandfather. And I just grew up with the Capital Times. I, uh, uh, Jason, you'll be happy to know that I still read the Capital Times every single week when you put out your newspaper. And when I was governor, they, we had a subscription, and the Capital Times came to the governor's office. I don't know if they still do that, yeah, but I don't uh, know either. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I did. I, I I told my good friend Bill Schweifel. I said, you know, I, I donate this money to you, just hoping someday you'll say something nice about me. <laughs> but he, he never has. But it's a it's a, a great newspaper, and I've always enjoyed it. And thank you for your independence, your integrity, and thank you for your 100th year anniversary, and thank you for putting on this Ideas Fest. Well, that's really more than you it. wanted, so that's thank you. That's great. Um, we just, uh, last night, the, the State Senate um, did their work on the budget, um, so it's coming in a little bit late, but there will be a budget. Yes. And as part of that budget is funding for the Thompson Center right. here on campus. Um, I'm wondering, first of all, uh, you know, what, what does that mean to you as a, as a UW well, graduate? And, and do you uh, have any idea what that's going to look like? Oh, it's really, um, it's really an honor for me. Uh, you know, uh, I barely got through this university and then have a center, <laughs> center named after me and uh, got through law school and, and was in the, the political science, got my major in political science and history. And, and to have a center and be able to, you know, to give back and, and yesterday, the vocational school honored me here in Madison by naming their health center, innovation center after me. And so it's just been a, a tremendous week. And this center, what I, what I want to do is I, I want to bring out ideas that, that uh, people are really somewhat skeptical of and afraid of. And being a Republican, you know, like uh, Nixon went to China, I, wa I want to do something, some things that are quite radical. And I'll just throw out one that's really, really one of my missions in life. I, I built a lot of prisons when I was governor, and I, 
I've come to the conclusion that that's not the way to go. And uh, I'm not saying I made a mistake back then, but uh, the truth of the matter is, I want to I rehabilitate. Just think of this idea. This is one of the things I want to bring up with the center, and you, I'll use it as an example. Uh, you know, I want to I want to turn, and I don't know if I'll ever get any support from from uh, uh, from the state. But I, what I really would like to do is is change one of the prisons into a vocational school. I would love to be able to have prisoners have the opportunity to uh, educate themselves out of prison, uh, and they have to be on, first off, you, you could bring great disciplinary uh, discipline to the prison system because they have to, they would have to be able to be uh, on their good behavior to be able to get into this prison or into my school or, or into this vocational, not my school, but vocational school. And then have prisoners, you know, all the jobs and all the, all the vacancies we have and to be able to train, you know, some young men and young women who are incarcerated and give them a hope, give them an opportunity, give them a chance, you know, team up with WMC and all the employers and be able to have them sponsor a prison prisoner while they're getting educated and then be able to uh, have that prisoner come out. They have to take alcohol and drug abuse because 70% of our prisoners have alcohol and drug problems. And if you're able to rehabilitate them in prison instead of just at the end of their prison sentence and throw them out and give them 10 bucks and say don't come back, uh, if they've got a job waiting and they're educated to be a welder, a painter, uh, x-ray technician, whatever the case may be of the jobs that we need, they can go out and leave that prison and be able to be meaningful members of society. And then I'm going to add, a, uh, you know, so that the taxpayers, you know, are funding this, uh, came up with the idea, you know, that it should be like a, a uh, college loan, a prison loan, that they have to pay back to the state for some of the costs of educating them. So the taxpayers get something back and, and be able to use that as a continuation of the program. I think it would be the first of its type in, in the country, but what a tremendous opportunity to change prison. So I'm hoping to use the center for radical ideas like that and come up. And then I also would like to be able to have the center uh, be able to use uh, uh, an idea to become a little bit more uh, centric in, in our philosophy. And not that I, I want to in any way disparage uh, uh, people on the right or people on the left, but the vast majority of people in, in Wisconsin in America are in the center. And you know, I, I hate to say this, but some Democrats have good ideas. <laughs> and, and there are good Republican ideas. And we should be working, you know, once the election is over, I, you know, we got to fight like, like ever to get elected. But after the election is over, there's, there's good ideas that we can, you know, work on uh, together and come up and, and solve some of the problems facing Wisconsin and some of the problems facing this country. It's terrible, you know, that we have become so rigid in our ideology and philosophy that we just are not willing to do it. So I'm hoping the center can, can develop some uh, abilities uh, to bring in uh, individuals and start developing uh, sort of a ability to develop politics, ideology, and programs and plans for the future that's going to become 
somewhat bipartisan and get people to support it. So uh, I'm, I know I'm speaking a lot longer than you expected. I'm sorry, but no, this but is great. My, one of my assistants said, "Watch out, for they're going to ask you some tough questions. So talk a lot, so they can't <laughs> get it." <laughs> <laughs> no, I love the. It's the idea fest. We want to hear ideas. It's well, fabulous, and I think you you were a governor of ideas. I, I was, think if anything, and I loved it. That's yeah. what I did. You uh, know, I spent. You know, I spent. See, you don't even get a chance to ask a question. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, when I was in the, in, the, in the legislature, Loftus, who's you know Tom Loftus, Ambassador Loftus, who's uh, it's turned out to be a tremendous friend of mine, and Tony Earl, fantastic individual, both of them, and but. Back then, they wouldn't let me get some of my ideas. You know, I was the Republican, and we were such a small, uh, small uh, minority that it, if you had good ideas, you couldn't get them advanced. And so it's not only today, but it was back then, too. And so I remembered all the ideas and all my amendments that I put up that I got the moniker Dr. No for, for uh, slowing down legislation, uh, that I wanted to uh, give those ideas a chance. So... I brought all those ideas back when I was governor, and some of them worked, you know, and and, and so that's that's what it is. I always I always believed, and still do to this day, that you should not run for these offices, whether it be for state assembly or state senate or even uh, uh, city council or school board. You should have some ideas of what you want to accomplish. You shouldn't be there just for your own self-aggrandizement. Uh, you should be able to run for for public life with the idea, you know, I got some ideas that I want to advance. Like the Capital Times, this is the Ideas Fest. Got ideas to advance, and that's what I want to do as governor. I never thought I'd ever get reelected. I thought four years. <laughs> of, so I threw everything I could my first four years, not everything, but a, a lot of ideas that I wanted to, you know, I wanted to develop them. And, and surprisingly, the people responded. And you'd be amazed when you look around and go around this wonderful, beautiful state. The people, people have the, the best intentions. And I was always amazed that no matter when I, when I had a problem, no matter who I called, never asked you know, what their political affiliation or what they thought, but you always called them. People wanted to help. They wanted to help and be part of the solution. And, and that's a story that needs to be told, that Wisconsin really is a state, a, a state of givers, uh, generous people that really want the best for the state. And uh, I loved it, and, I, and people said I was nothing but a cheerleader. Well, I, I'll take that moniker. But I wanted, to, I wanted to give people hope and opportunity, and I wanted to try new ideas. So go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I, no, I just want to. I play off on some of that. Um, this is the 30th. Uh, this this year is the 30th anniversary of the of the first uh, of your first inauguration as governor. That is correct. Um, but I want to talk specifically. I want I want to talk about your second reelection campaign in, okay, in 1994. I, I was just looking at some that of these numbers the other day. It was really that yeah was your third election, third second reelection. Yeah. Um, you defeated Chuck Kuala from Dane County here. Um, and uh, the, these just st uh, stood out to me the other day when I looked this up. More than half the union vote, 41% uh, of the Democratic vote, and 37% of the liberal vote. This, these are based on exit polls that were taken on election day. Um, Two-thirds of the under 30 vote, and this is, I think, remarkable. You didn't just carry the pro-gun vote, 
but also the voters who wanted a handgun ban, which was a, a big um, political issue at the time. This seems um, impossible in 2017. Um, you beat Chuck Kuala in every single county, including Dane County. Right. Um, I lost Menominee uh, County. Menominee County, and I lost by 22 votes, and if I knew it was that close, I would have spent the last day there. 22 votes? 22 votes. Oh my gosh. Um, I just want you to think about the, that chunk of Democrats that you won over, and um, what issues resonated with those voters, or, or what was it that, that you think um, allowed you to be so successful in that, that group of Democrats? It was, it was a, just a lot of things. Uh, we had a big welfare problem, and we solved that, and the press, press was very, uh, I, I wouldn't say supportive, but the press, the national press, and even the international press was picking it up. And, and the federal government adopted my plan. And so we were, we were, doing well in social programs, and even welfare mothers were very happy. I mean, uh, people don't realize this, but they had buses from Milwaukee come up here the day on the welfare, and actually uh, welfare mothers came up to lobby for my initiatives. I'll get into that story if you really want me to, but it was amazing. And then uh, secondly, you know, we were building the state. Uh, you know, building-wise, I was building a lot of buildings on the University of Wisconsin campus, and people, and I was very pro-university. I was pro-K-12. And we started Choice in, in Milwaukee for poor, uh, the reason I started Choice was for especially poor African-American males who were dropping out 15% uh, in the first year. And when you extrapolate it over, over four years, uh, only 28% uh, of African-American uh, uh, were males were graduating and I, I just thought that was just terrible. Well, good news, build prison. So I, I wanted to start a program. I met with the Milwaukee <coughs> uh, clergy and and we just had Mina said, What what can we do? And they were very helpful and they wanted they wanted choice. And so I I I was going to labor unions. You know, I was Jim Klaus and I never really re wanted we always wanted ninety percent of the vote. We didn't want we didn't want 100, we just wanted 90%. And we always wanted to know why we can't get more votes. And so we, we would intentionally target groups, uh, Jason, go out after them. And I was very aggressive, and I can, I can work a room with the best of them. And uh, if I have time, I'll shake hands with everybody in here probably once or twice. And, and uh, that, that helped, plus the fact that Wisconsin our unemployment was just kept going down, and people were, were working, and they were happy. We were investing, and it didn't hurt. The Packers went to the Super Bowl, and, uh, and the Badgers football team was really doing well. It's amazing, you know, when the Packers do well on Sunday. You can feel the whole state. The economy changes. It's, uh, it does. I mean, you can actually see the tax collections go up when, when the Packers are doing well because people spend more money. All of this together, and then we, we did something that most politicians don't do today. Uh, it was always our belief that we had to solidify our base in the third year of the, of the term. So we would take care of the Republicans in the third year, or the conservatives, or our base. 
And then the fourth year, we, you know, it was my intention to go all out to get Democrats, get union people, and so on, and anybody that might not do it. So I spent the third year solidifying my base, so I had no problems. And then the fourth year, I just went out and actively uh, campaigned in areas where Republicans should not do well. And uh, if I would have only known I was 22 votes behind in Menominee County, I would have... I would have definitely found those 22 votes and carried every, every, every county in the state. But that's, that's how I did it. Yeah. But mainly hard work and, and being organized and being look out for, for programs that are going to help Wisconsin. Sure. You know, good roads, good university, good education is not a Republican or Democrat issue. That's a, a bipartisan issue that you really, if you hone in on that, you can get a lot of, a lot of support. I want to talk... Uh, Again, about, uh, you know, you obviously did well in 94. You did well in 98, uh, defeating Ed Garvey. The next time you ran for statewide office was in 2012, yeah. uh, when you lost in the U.S. Senate election to uh, Tammy Baldwin. Um, what was the difference? Uh, was there a difference in the voters that you encountered? Was it just the fact that you weren't running from a position of power being being the governor, being the office holder? No, no I'll tell you why I lost. And uh, basically, it... Uh, it was uh, Obama's election. Uh, there, was, there was nothing I could have done that I could have won. Even the old magic of Tommy Thompson could not win, win, win that uh, the state. I got more votes losing as a Republican than any Republicans ever got. Uh, so it shows you, you know, that, and I carried areas that I was ahead of uh, most of the Republican candidates. But... I could not overcome the Obama phenomena. He it was the biggest vote we ever had in the state of Wisconsin. And people came out and just voted for President Obama and Tammy Baldwin. And uh, <clears throat> Romney thought uh, that he uh, was going to carry Wisconsin. And if he would have carried, if he would have came within three percentage points, I would have been the U.S. Senator but he lost by seven percentage points. I could not, I could not bring that enough votes that were voting for Obama uh, and, and bring them from Obama over to Tommy Thompson. And so there was nothing, there was just utterly impossible for me to, to win that election because I got, Romney lost by seven percent and I lost by three percent. And if Romney would have would have only lost by 3% to Obama, I would have been the U.S. Senator. But when he lost by 7%, I just couldn't bring that many votes over. So, uh, plus the voters had, had changed. You are absolutely correct. I, I had become much more polarized in Wisconsin than I, than I had ever witnessed before. And uh, could have been Act 10, it could have been whatever the case may be, but there was a... Uh, Definitely a polarization uh, that uh, I could not pull them back, and so it's I picked up the pieces. Yeah, I I won more than I lost, and uh, and if I would have got the endorsement of the Capital Times, I'm sure I would have won. But that was no uh, question. <laughs> no question. Um, that would have been the only thing that nothing else I could have done except the endorsement of the Capital Times. <laughs> um, when you're when you're campaigning, when you're out and you're talking to people and you're working rooms, 
Um, is there a point in the campaign when you feel that? I mean, you obviously felt it on the positive side many times, and is there a, I, I can like, feel I don't know it. if we're going to do this. I, no, I, could, I felt it. I felt it, Jason, early on in the primary, that people that uh, should have been for me uh, thought that I was not conservative enough for the, for, uh, to gather their support. That's, that's pretty hard for me to swallow, because when I came in, Wisconsin had no Republicans in office. Democrats controlled everything. And I was able to switch the state from a blue state to a red state quite overwhelmingly. And then come back uh, after, after 12 years and, and people in your own political party uh, didn't think you were conservative. I said, holy God. Remember back when you started to introduce me, you said I was called Dr. No. And now 12 years later, I was not Dr. No enough or conservative enough to to have their support. It was pretty hard hard to believe that, that they had polarized that much, but it is what it is, and uh, I never look back and look forward. I still want to run for something someday, maybe Mayor Elroy, but uh, I, my health is good. I still like to, like to run sometimes, so go ahead. Yeah, um, so let's talk about the president. Um, in the summer of 2016, um, it was reported that you were a reluctant Donald Trump supporter at that point in the primary. He wasn't your first choice or maybe even your second choice. He uh, wasn't. He was my third choice. Okay. Once he became the presumptive nominee and you, you endorsed him and even spoke enthusiastically in favor of him um, yeah. during the presidential campaign. Um, I saw an interview uh, with you from July of 2016 where he said if he looks the American people in the eye, tells them what he's going to do and how he's going to do it, he can win. Um, he has won. Um, he still tells people what he's going to do. I'm not sure he's accomplishing even what he wants to accomplish. Um, he isn't. Do you, do you have a letter grade for him? Are you, do you assess him in any way at this point in his uh, first term? I, I, don't think he can, I, don't th I don't think he can put a letter grade on, on the Trump administration right now. There, there are some things that I like a lot. Uh, some things I dislike a lot, and uh, I think it, each and every one of us in the and the and the inner sanctums of our bodies would have to come to the same conclusion. Pretty much, some people would say there's is anything he does that's right, but I I think that there are some things that needed to be done, and I think he's addressing some of those issues. It was I was first with Jeb for Jeb Bush, and then I was John Kasich, and. And then I was for Donald Trump, and I did campaign hard for him. Um, I know Hillary. Uh, Bill Clinton was my my mentor when I first got elected governor, and I just compared to uh, uh, to Hillary. I thought Donald would make a much better president, and uh, that's why I strongly supported him. There's some things uh, I would like to see him do better. I would. The the problem I have, Jason. Is, is the fact that our country's got huge problems. And uh, you don't have to be uh, too smart to see that we have huge problems to address. And we're not addressing them. I mean, the healthcare system in America is, uh, is almost 22% of a gross national product. I mean, almost 32%. And it's $22 billion. And we don't have a healthcare system that we're all that proud of, and we've got to make some changes, and Congress has not been able to do it. And people say, well, just 
do the Accountable Care Act, the Obamacare, but that's fail, that's falling apart too. So we're left with uh, a system that's in tatters and it's going to get worse, and we got to address it. I'm scared to death of what's going to happen in North Korea, and uh, I, I'm really concerned about that. I'm concerned a, a lot about uh, how we're we're going to have our infrastructure and be able to to build on that. So there's, you know, you take a look at the infrastructure in America, and it's it's got serious problems. And so all of these things need the best Democrats and the best Republicans and 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 Trump to work together to get done. And I don't see that happening. And that's my my biggest concern for the country. And I I wish there was something I could do to. Uh, bring them closer together and have them start working on on these big issues, but uh, but I don't, I don't have the answer. We are um, getting some questions here, and so if you have a, a card with a question, just make sure to hold it up, and Abby will come around and collect it. Um, here's one that sort of uh, dovetails off what we just discussed about: uh, Can the Republican Party survive Donald Trump? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It uh, it survived Richard Nixon. As I said, the jury is still out. The, the, uh, uh, Donald Trump could uh, could surprise all of us. He could surprise everybody, and he could become uh, an outstanding president if he's if he's able to address these big problems and come up with solutions. He could be uh, be a, a very good president. Um, so I think we got to wait and see what happens. I, I'm hoping for the best. Uh, but I, I don't think any one person is going to bring down political party. I could, I could turn around and ask the same question. You think the Democrat Party is going to survive Hillary Clinton's book? And uh, it's been an interesting month. Yeah, it has been an interesting month. And uh, you know, like, uh, like uh, uh, Romney didn't come into Wisconsin, Hillary didn't come into Wisconsin to both of their uh, their peril, and. Uh, be strange what would have happened if Hillary would have campaigned in Wisconsin and if Romney would have campaigned in, in Wisconsin. So uh, it shows you, one thing it shows you is that Wisconsin is, is a lot like Iowa in this regards. Iowa, Iowa will not vote for a presidential candidate unless, unless that candidate sets down for supper in everybody's house and, in Iowa. And, and Republicans and Democrats alike in Wisconsin like to meet their their candidates. I think that's, I think that is wonderful. I think it's a great trait, and I think the candidates uh, candidates even you know that Herb was all over. It's it's uh, it's an amazing thing. People want to meet their candidates and, and look them straight in the eye and see whether or not they can trust them. And so I think you know uh, both political parties right now. Are, I've got some shoring up to do, and I, th I hope that, you know, I hope that, I, th I think we've got to have a vibrant two-party system. I really do, and uh, I, I think it's good for the democracy, but I think it's even better for the democracy that once uh, the election's over to, uh, to start sharing ideas and start working across purposes. There's nothing that bad. Uh, on the other side of the aisle that we cannot overcome and, and be able to find ways uh, to work together for the betterment of the state of Wisconsin and of the country. One of these issues where there's been a particular 
um, you know, amount of sort of uh, partisan strife has been healthcare, obviously. Every Republican in Congress campaigned on repealing and replacing Obamacare, sure. and something they have not been able to do. Um, what's next? What's, what do you think is next for, for healthcare? Healthcare, we got, we got to solve healthcare. When you look back in the history of our country, big ideas and big social swings and movements have always been done on a bipartisan basis. You know, unemployment, workers' comp, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and the one that I was responsible for, Part D, uh, the drug benefit for seniors. We always had Democrat and Republican votes. And when Obama came in, and, and I'm not, don't think I'm, I'm picking on President Obama, but when President Obama came in and the Democrats decided they were only going to pass Obamacare with Democrat votes, I think that was a mistake. I think you got to win big social programs. And the Republicans started out immediately after the passage of Obamacare, the Accountable Care Act, being opposed to it. And if you would have had some Republican votes, you might have had some bipartisanship. It might have, might have made some significant changes that it might not be in the problems areas that it is today. And I had the same problem on Part D. I talked to Ted Kennedy. Ted Kennedy was, uh, maybe that's why some of the conservatives didn't like me. I talked to Ted Kennedy. But uh, uh, Ted Kennedy advised me on, on, on the fact on Part D, the things that I needed to get Democrat votes. And I took his counsel very seriously. And you have to realize that healthcare uh, right now needs both political parties. And uh, I think that Patty Murray, from uh, Democrat from uh, and uh, my friend Lamar Alexander, the chairman of the Health Committee, are trying to put together uh, a bipartisan solution to healthcare and get it passed. Uh, what you got to do is you you got to be able to allow healthcare to be tailored to individuals. You can't you can't force uh, people to pick or choose. And secondly, you're going to have to be able to sell healthcare like you do any other commodity across state lines and be able to, to do that. You can't restrict it and have it so, so localized that it can't be done. And you gotta allow, you gotta allow uh, individuals to, to be able to deduct healthcare payments off their taxes. I, I mean, it is really dumb that, that employers can deduct what they pay in taxes for healthcare but individuals can't. I mean, that just doesn't make it doesn't make economic sense. And if you if you say you know to if you say to a, to individuals you know we're going to allow you to deduct your premiums, but you have to have health insurance. Isn't that a trade-off? Doesn't that make sense? You know. Uh, and four, you, you got to be able to uh, require benefits so that you don't uh, take away benefits from people. And once people have benefits, it's pretty hard to take them away. And uh, you're just, you're not going to have support. So those are just some ideas that, I, I, it's not that difficult if you had good people on both political parties sit down and say, let's do that. And uh, people say, well, we get, one side says you got to have tax reduction, and the other guy says you got you to gotta mandate it. Well, put them together and uh, solve the problem. I, I, I think we could solve it very quickly.
I want to talk a little bit about dealing with the uh, natural disasters um, and, uh, and sort of equate that with some of your experiences on 9-11. Thank you. Um, we've seen these, um, you know, these big hurricanes. I mean, it's just an immense amount of, you know, stress and uh, tragedy and catastrophic loss of, you know, uh, of cities um, really in the last couple months here. Um, what, what is the federal government's role there? What, how, how do you, as a, as a cabinet secretary, um, deal with a, a big tragedy like that and sort of pull together different levels of government to work together? That's got to be a tremendous challenge. Let me tell you about 9-11, because that was the biggest challenge facing our country ever. Um, I had given a breakfast speech, and I was coming into my office, and uh, got a my security got word that a plane had flown into uh, <clears throat> one of the uh, towers, South Tower in, in New York. And I, I um, said, well, hurry up. We got to get to, get to uh, the office because they'll probably need some medical equipment. And um, then the uh, second one, and then the, and I was in my office when the second one hit and it was obvious that, uh, that uh, it was going to be, uh, uh, there was something that was very serious. And uh, the president was in Florida uh, reading uh, to a group of students, and Cheney was hunkered down in a secret spot in the White House. And uh, I knew, I knew that, uh, I guess from being a governor, that the responsibility was on my shoulder. I, I had no, I had no uh, authority to do what I did, but I, I took it upon myself as the country was in terrible. So I, I declared for the, at ten o'clock in the morning a health care emergency in this country. Nobody's ever done that before, but I did it, and don't even know to this day if I had the legal authority to do so, but I did. And if you remember, every every other. You couldn't get a plane off the ground. But uh, I had a plane in the air uh, in the afternoon and delivered uh, 50 tons of medical supplies uh, to the city of New York by 5 o'clock that afternoon. And uh, 100,000 prophylactic gloves and masks. And then uh, I uh, uh, decided that uh, we needed to, uh, to uh, do more. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but there, there's, there were, at that time, eight. I was able to get Congress to, uh, to uh, expand that to 12. There are eight uh, depots of medical supplies in top secret places around America that you could go in. So we got in and got a bunch of supplies up to the city of New York. And I was talking to the mayor and to the governor. And then they decided in the White House that Every cabinet officer, except for Department of Defense and, uh, and uh, Department of State, had to go to a, a faraway place called Camp Weather because they didn't know if the cabinet secretaries for the continuity of government were going to be, uh, there was going to be some terrorist attack on them. And so they ordered me to go to Camp Weather, which is in West Virginia. It's a, city 175 feet below ground. It's a complete city uh, for the cabinet secretaries. They wanted us to stay out there for a week. And I said, I'm not going to go. Well, 
they ordered me, and then they they came in and were going to arrest me and put me in handcuffs and put me on a helicopter. And so I I refused to go, but finally my uh, people in my office said that I had to go, so I, I went because they were going to arrest me, and they didn't think that was going to be helpful at all. So I told my security, I said, you get to Camp Weather, wherever the hell it is, and be there and pick me up. And I said, I'm going to check in in the front door, and I'm going to walk out the back door, and, I'm, and I want to get back here. And I did, did exactly. All the other secretaries stayed and signed in, and I signed in and walked, picked up my blanket and walked out the back door, and there my security was. And I was back in the office at 4 o'clock, much to the chagrin of my deputy secretary, who was starting to liken the fact that he could make the decisions. And so, <laughs> and so I did that. And so you've you got to show leadership. When you, when you have emergencies, you've got to have people that are willing to look out and say, what's, what's the good? Forget about you know, what has happened in the past. What can we do? And uh, so at, at 5 o'clock, the employees wanted to, were really concerned because, if you remember correctly, the plane that went to the Pentagon was headed to the Capitol, and the Humphrey Building, which happens to be the ugliest building in in Washington D.C., uh, which is the Department of Health and Human Services, bar none, uh, probably would have been a blessing to have that, but <laughs> no, 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 not really. But uh, people were afraid, and so the employees came to me and said, "Can we stay home tomorrow?" And I said, "Sure, but I'm going to be here." I'm going to be here, and uh, I would like to have you come back because we got some big problems. And at 5 o'clock in the morning, I was in the office and shook hands with every employee that came in. I, I tell you the story because it shows you, you know, the fear that was affecting the country. And I was the first secretary before the president went to, I went up to New York the next day and walked around with, uh, with the, with the, with the uh, police chief and the fire chief and the, uh, and uh, Giuliani and uh, Governor Bataki. And I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, it's the most surreal day of my life. You walked around and pe all the stop and go lights were, were knocked out. And in New York, and people were waiting in line to drive their trucks and their cars through, and not one horn, whoever sounded, nobody pushed. Nobody honked the horn. In New York, on that day, everybody, nobody smiled. It was just a somber thing. And I was up there. Then I went around to, you're asking the question, what it shows is leadership. You have to be, go around, and people, tragedy like that, or tragedy like a hurricane, they want to see somebody showing compassion for them. And holding their hands or tell them everything is going to be okay. And I went around that day to the hospitals, to the people that were injured, and I went in to, to see the patients, and I shook hands, and some died. And, but they were so pleased that somebody from Washington was there to say everything is going to be okay. And so it's the president, whoever he is or there, has to be there because people have to know that their government is going to stand behind them and be supportive. And that's what I did in New York. And then the next day, the president went up and did a much better job than I did. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, I was there to show the people that the Department of Health and Human Services was going to give them all the health care they needed 
And the doctors had to know that. The hospitals had to know that. They didn't know what was going on. The fire departments and so on. But all of this tells, tells you that when you have a tragedy and you have people that are hurting, it really is, is really powerful uh, to have uh, somebody in a position of power to come in and say, we, we know you're, you're hurting, we know you've got problems, but we're here to help, and we're, we're Americans, and we're going to make it happen. And that's what happens in a hurricane, and that's what has to happen. Because this is, you're affecting people's lives. They're gonna, they've lost everything they have, and they, need, they want somebody to show some compassion and some feeling of empathy for them. Um, I've, I've, uh, yeah. Um, I've seen this. I've heard stories about it. I mean, you're a hands-on guy. Uh, people have said, you know, boy, Tommy Thompson clamps his hand on your shoulder. You know, you know, you know, he's there with you. But, right? Yeah. Is that just the way you you grew up, or did did something happen at some point where you you saw the cause and effect of being yeah, a hands-on? That's the way, I, the way I was brought up. My, I was brought up in a little country grocery store, and and uh, every Friday night, uh, my father was the chairman of the Road and Bridge Committee for the county, and people, farmers would come in, and that's, that's how I learned my love of politics. The farmers would come in and talk to my father about what roads are going to be resurfaced and so on and so forth. My father was a big man, much bigger than me, and, and he'd put his arms around you, and, he knew once you put his arms around you, you knew that uh, you were in for something. And it was usually not good for me when he had his hands on me, but but for the farmers it was it was felt. And I, and I learned that from him. I learned a lot. My father taught me. He says, two ears and one mouth, Tommy. Use them in that proportion, you'll be all right. Uh, you can tell from the day I haven't learned that lesson very well. Um, we've got a couple of great questions here, and we're going to try to get to as many as we can here before we're I'm done. I'm talking too much is what you're saying. You're doing just it. fine. Mm -hmm. I think we're, we're all loving this. Um, in Wisconsin, transportation is currently a, uh, a really divisive issue. Um, if you were governor of Wisconsin today, how would you uh, propose to solve some of these problems? How would you, or at least what would your approach be at this, at this stage of the game? You know, I'm not governor, so I, and I'm not going to criticize uh, people in power right now because you know they got a tough job and they they look at the facts and figures. Uh, all I can tell you back when I was governor, uh, there were two seasons in Wisconsin: winter time and highway construction time. And uh, I knew I knew when I became governor that one of the biggest problems facing Wisconsin was uh, was uh, our transportation system. And I I built Wisconsin and four lanes and 53 all the way to Superior, 151, 29, all those. But I, I'm not going to be critical of, of people, you know. The, uh, times have changed, and I think uh, you've got to find a way to finance the highway system. You've got to build buildings on this campus, and you've got you to take care of your infrastructure, both statewide and nationally. Uh, but... Uh, all I can tell you is what I did. I, I can't, I, but I'm not going to be uh, critical, critical of what other people do. People have been talking a lot. There's a Supreme Court. Uh, uh, Supreme Court's about to hear the Wisconsin gerrymandering case. Um, redistricting, of course, is a big issue among 
Dane County um, progressives for for sure. Um, is this something you think about? Do you have a I think about a, a lot. I think about a lot. I I probably think about it more as an individual independent citizen now than when I was governor because or as when I was a minority leader because uh, you. When you're a minority leader, you got different responsibilities. When you govern, different responsibilities. But you you want your political party, and you, and both Democrats and Republicans do the same thing. But I I've said this, and I'll say it again: the computers, uh, people are going to say, "Tommy, you're crazy." But the system. One of the reasons we're so polarized in America today is is our computers, and people say, "God, Tommy, you you really lost it. You better go back to Elroy." But Stop and analyze where you live. The computers have become so sophisticated that they know exactly how you vote, what, your, what you like for soup, what your car, what's your favorite color. It, it's absolutely amazing the data that computer, the computer system has on each of us. And they know exactly how you vote. So they can, computers can determine pretty much uh, you know, going down a street, how Tommy Thompson's more likely going to vote. And you put that in, and you will want Tommy Thompson on a Republican, and you will want Jason on the Democrat side, and especially Eve. She'll, she'll be a, she never voted for me, but I love her. Uh, <laughs> but you know exactly how you do it. So the computer systems have set up, so you, you, you put, the, and it's not just one party. Both parties do it. If the Republicans control it, they're going to they're going to tilt for districting for Republicans. If Democrats control the state, they'll do the same thing. And so what you have is you have a district where, let's just take Jason and me. I win the the second congressional district, which has never happened, uh, but as a Republican, and when I'm Win that seat, Jason, a good Democrat, wants to run against me. But I really, I don't want to debate him. I don't want to talk to him. Because if I talk to him, if I, you know, give him a standing or vote with him, then the Republicans on the right side, the real conservatives, you know, that funded are going to, be opposed to me, and they'll find a primary against me. I'm much more worried in a Republican district of a primary coming from me on my right than I am from Jason coming from me on my left. So I ignore him. And then Jason has got this safe district in the second congressional district, and I'm this Republican's got great ideas, and I want to come in and run against him. He could care less about me. He would, doesn't want to debate me, doesn't want to even even get involved with me because if he starts talking to me, George Soros and the liberals on the left will find a candidate against him. So he's got to be concerned about a primary on the left and a Democrat seat, and I've got to be concerned about a primary on my right. And as a result of that, why, why work for you in Congress? Why, why try and develop it? Because all I'm going to do is end up with a with a, an opponent in a primary, which is going to be divisive, and, and more likely I'm going to lose because I'm not conservative enough, and Jason is not liberal enough, and he'll lose. So he doesn't have any reason to do that. 
And that, is, that has become why we become so polarized. So I go back to say the computer system has become so sophisticated, they can determine how you're going to vote. And they put, they, they consolidate in a Republican state, they'll consolidate Democrats into, uh, into compact Democrat seats that no Republican could ever win, but they diffuse it so that the Democrats don't have enough chance to go out into a Republican seat. In the same way in a Democrat state, they'll put all the Republicans that they can in a compacted district where it'll always be a Republican, but the majority of the other districts will go for the Democrats. And that's what happens in America. And as a result of that, we've got a polarized partisan system that needs fixing. Do you, uh, do you, is the solution to take that decision away from the legislative majority, I guess, is the question? I, I, uh, You know, I'm, I'm never big on taking away power from the legislators, but there has to be some modification. There has to be some, I, I'm sure Jason, you and I have sat down here and we could figure out a way that the legislature could stay involved and have it more competitive. We gotta, we gotta develop more competition. And, and the second thing we gotta do is we gotta get more people to run. You know, you, you look at all the, all the, City council, all the county board seats, all the town board seats, all the school board seats. People don't want to run for them. It's vicious out there, and that's sad. This is a democracy. We need people to run for public office, and so we got to get more people, you know, to have nobody run against you. You know, it's easy. It's nice, uh, but uh, it's not, it's not going to make the democracy any stronger or better. And that's why you got to get more people involved, and, and we do have to make some, some changes so that there's more competition. Um, another question from the audience here pertains to ALEC, which maybe people here don't know. You were sort of part of the ground floor, um, part of the beginnings of, of ALEC. Um, ALEC is sort of a boogeyman in, um, in Dane County progressive circles. Yeah. Um, do you follow much about ALEC, and do no. you have anything to say about no. uh, I really don't. I I don't know where he got the information. I was one of the founders. I don't think I was, but you were. Were, were you involved at all in the beginnings? They of gave that me. They gave me. Uh, they gave me the uh, Teddy Roosevelt Award uh, once. Uh huh. I think it was. A, it was some award they gave me. I don't know what it was. They gave me a nice little statue. That sounds like a good one. Uh, Teddy but, Roosevelt Award. Sounds uh, like. Yeah, a good one. I, I love Teddy Roosevelt. He he had, he had the the vision. That everybody making of a citizen. He, it's fantastic. I used to that quote a lot, but I don't think I was in. The, okay, uh, fair enough. I've been wrong before. Dave, and tell, tell Dave Schweifel he's. I definitely. His information yeah, is I'm wrong glad he again. left for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but you know, there's organizations, organizations that are, are good on both sides. I, I happen to like I happen to like organizations coming up and and really fighting for their causes. I, I, I don't say that's part of the democracy. That's part of, you know, so it makes us different than any other country out there. It, make, it makes it good. We just gotta, we just gotta realize that there's got to be, our legislators and Congress people have got to, got to be involved and start solving some of these problems. Uh, we've got just a couple minutes here, but I thought this was a good question, and, and it's probably impossible to answer with just one thing, but somebody's interested in finding out what your favorite achievement as Wisconsin governor is. I, I think my, my favorite achievement, I really think, is, is the fact that 
I was able to rebuild Wisconsin. We changed uh, uh, welfare and, and made it better, made people get, have hope and optimism. We changed the school system. I, I, I love, I love the fact that, that, that to be in a position of power and be able to really go out and do things is what makes, makes it all worthwhile. That's, that's, what, that's what I got up in the morning for. What's, what new idea? You know, when I, when I was governor of Wisconsin, I, I get up in the morning at 2 o'clock uh, and uh, have to go to the bathroom. And I usually, usually had a good idea. I'd, I'd write it down. And by, uh, by 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning, I'd have Klauser and, and Dean Stensberg and somebody working on it. You know, immediate. You get something going. I went to Washington and uh, still had to get up. Still had a good idea. Still had a good idea, but I went in and then I had to realize I had to, I had to get 69,000 employees to buy into it and nobody thought a secretary knew anything. And then once I got buy-in from them, then I had to go over to the super god. And I bet you didn't even know we had a super god in our society. Super god, and that's OMB, Office of Management Budget. And they turn you down nine times out of ten just to show you who the boss is. And then if you do get by OMB, it goes over to the super intelligentsia in the president's office, the young college graduate who's never had a job. But was lucky enough to have a mother or father or somebody to get them a position in the in the East Wing, and they don't think anybody that's a secretary knows anything. If you get by the superintelligentsia into the president, and then if the president ever thinks it's a good idea, it goes on to Congress, and if Congress ever does take it up, it's time to retire. That's why nothing gets done. That's what's so different from being governor when you can do things, versus being in Washington where nothing gets done. But um, I, I still was very, in Washington, I was the father of setting up the Global Fund to fight AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria. Nobody really ever ever knows that, but I, I, was, uh, I was the first, I was actually the second president, but the one that really made the Global Fund and raised the money. And that Global Fund, has uh, done so much to change the attitudes in the world and give people antiretroviral drugs uh, to fight AIDS. It's just amazing and we get a handle on tuberculosis. You know, why do we still have malaria in America, in this world? I mean, it's ridiculous. We should be able to get rid of malaria without any, any difficulty whatsoever and the medicine doesn't cost that much. Just another big idea that we should try and get the Capital Times to get behind and You've been a great audience. I hope I didn't bore you, but I, I love you all, and, and thank you very much for having me. We very much appreciate it. Thank you very much.